I'm a man full of contradictions. I think I see contradictions throughout my life. You know, I'm a guy who loves all kinds of sports, but I'm terrible at most sports. I got schooled by Jim Newley, who is 35 years older than me, in bocce ball last night. It was not a pretty sight, okay? Uh, you know, I'm, it con- I have contradictions all sorts of areas of life. I like sort of formal worship, but it's the newer songs that really move me and can bring me to tears. I like being in the city, but I never really want to live there. I'm a conservative who doesn't really like to hear conservatives talk because sometimes they make me mad. I am full of contradictions. And maybe if you looked deep in your life too, you would find that you have some contradictions some inconsistencies about who you are and who you've become. And I think for many of us, some of those contradictions are even part of our relationship with God. I mean, we value this relationship. It's important to us. And and for many of us, it's the center of our lives. And yet, there are some things that are, well, inconsistent about this devotion to God. We may value this relationship, but yet we have one foot in a lifestyle that sort of used to be a lifestyle we enjoyed, and maybe we're trying to get out of, but, but it's hard to commit ourselves to what's new and what we know is right. In this relationship with God, we know that when we come to difficult times and when we're making decisions, we want to trust God. We want to depend on God's wisdom, and yet it's easy to trust ourselves. It's easy to, to look inward at what I can do and what I can accomplish rather than what God could accomplish through me. I have contradictions in that way. Maybe it's because sometimes we segment out different parts of our life. Like this is, this is the church part right now, right? We're all here at church together. But maybe you don't look exactly the same as you do in church when you're at home. Or maybe you look very different on Monday morning than you do Sunday morning because there's a different person who shows up for work Monday morning. We compartmentalize our lives so that we can be different people in different places. It's, it's a contradiction. So what do we do with those contradictions that are part of who we are and in many ways part of our relationship with God through Jesus? Well, today I want us to think about that. We're continuing in a series that we're calling Praying with Greatness. And we're thinking about all kinds of great Old Testament prayers. And many of those prayers are prayed by the heroes of faith, if you will. People like, we've talked about a prayer from Abraham, a man who really is the the father of all of Israel. And he had great, uh, this great relationship with God. And then we could think about Moses, who led the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, to the, to the verge of the land that God had promised them. And we talked about a prayer for Moses. But not all Old Testament prayers are from people like that. Sometimes we find people who are pretty flawed, maybe something like us. And even some people who are full of contradictions. And today I want us to turn to a prayer that is prayed by a man who has some real contradictions in his life, a man named Jonah. And if you want to turn to his book, to Jonah's book, that's where we'll be today. This is a man who had a basic contradiction in his life, a man who is called to be a prophet of God, okay, a spokesperson for God. God has called him to do that, and yet he doesn't want to do it. That's a real contradiction. 
And we find that at work in the first chapter. Maybe you remember this story pretty well. Jonah is called, and he's called by God specifically to go and preach a message of repentance to the great city of Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, the enemy of God's people. And Jonah basically says, no. Okay? He's not going to do it. He doesn't want to preach repentance to that group of people. And so the contradiction begins. In fact, it continues in this strange way because Jonah thinks if he can get on a boat, a ship headed in the other direction, okay, here's a prophet of the almighty creator God. If he gets on a boat going in the opposite direction, he can hide from God. Okay? A contradiction. You know how the story goes storm comes up. It threatens everybody who's in that ship. And Jonah knows right here, even though he's trying to hide from God, that God has found him, that this is all his fault. He tells the men on the ship, the only way you're going to survive, throw me overboard. They do everything they can to avoid that, try to make it to shore. All these things doesn't happen. They recognize if they're going to survive, they've got to do just what Jonah suggested. And they threw him overboard, and immediately the sea home. Now here's Jonah in the water from a people who are not a seafaring people, a people who really don't often learn to swim, a people who are afraid of the water, and Jonah is in the water sinking, and here comes the great fish and swallows him. And Jonah's in the belly of that fish for three days, and apparently when you're in the belly of a fish, you have plenty of time to think and maybe even pray. Because Jonah's prayer that we have recorded in chapter 2 is prayed from the belly of the fish. And this is what he says. Chapter 2, verse 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. When Jonah is in the water, before the fish comes along, when he's in the water, he thinks he is going to die, okay? He thinks this is the end for him. He describes it further. Verse 3, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed is wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. And we're going to pause right there in the middle of verse 6. We have this picture of Jonah really believing that he is going to die, that he's not going to see God anymore, that he's sinking down to what the, the Jewish people of that day called Sheol, which was this shadowy existence after death. Okay? It's neither light nor dark. It's just sort of gray. It's really not good or bad. It's just sort of there. But you don't get to worship God there. And that's what Jonah's focusing on. He's not going to see God. And we have this three-tiered understanding of the sea. The sea you could see and then the mountains that supported that and beneath that the sea of chaos that Jonah really describes that was forbidding and scary to the people of Israel. The same sea described the beginning of Genesis where it says God hovered over the face of the deep, the turbulent, chaotic water, uncontrollable. And that's where Jonah believes he is going at this point. And then he called on God. Middle of verse 6. 
but you. You, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit, from death. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So in that moment when Jonah had nowhere else to go, when he knew that he was going to die, Jonah remembered this God, this God who had called him to be a prophet, this God who had charged him with speaking to the people of Nineveh, this God that he had refused and run from and thought he could hide from. Jonah called on that God who brought him salvation. And then he paints a little broader picture. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. Jonah is ready to go to church at this point. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, I'm going to sing, I'm going to proclaim, I'm going to tell the people what salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. The kind of God that I serve is a saving God. And for me, that's the core of this message. The core that we can get from this passage is at this one moment in the whole story that Jonah gets it. That he sees the kind of God that we have. That salvation comes from the Lord. And the message for us is we worship a God who saves. A God who is active for salvation. And we see that all the way through Scripture. From beginning to end, we see a saving God. A God who, who, saves, who has a plan to save people from their sin from the beginning. A God who saves the people of Israel from slavery and then from exile. A God who sends His Son, Jesus, to die on a cross for my salvation and your salvation. A God who plans at the very end to return and save all of creation, to redeem all that He has created. He is a God who saves, and Jonah gets it. But he doesn't quite get it all. Because there's something missing from this prayer. It's a, it's a prayer of praise. But here's a man who has almost died because of his blatant disobedience of God. And the one thing he never says is, God, I'm sorry. Or God, I'm going to be different. There is no repentance from Jonah. There is no acknowledgement of his guilt or his sin or his disobedience. It's just, thanks God for getting me out of a really bad spot because you're a God who saves. Contradictions from beginning to end in the life of Jonah. And then we, well, we get the, the rest of the story that the, the fish sort of in creative and sort of vivid language from Jonah tells us that he vomited Jonah out on the shore, which sounds like a, quite an experience to me, but that's what happened to Jonah. And then God spoke to Jonah again. Jonah, remember what I told you at the beginning? to go speak to Nineveh, I want you to do that. And apparently Jonah had learned that lesson and went off and preached repentance to this great city, the city of Nineveh that stood for everything that the people of Israel were not, okay? Their enemies that didn't worship God. He preaches to them, and lo and behold, they listened. 
and they repented. From the king on down to the common men, the people of Nineveh repented of how they had offended the one true God. And God, God chose to relent. God chose to save this people. God chose to sort of fall back from his plan of destroying them because of their sin. And it's because Jonah preached repentance. Now, we might expect Jonah at this point in the story to sort of have a party that, and his preaching has reached a whole city. I mean, his message from God has changed this whole city and changed their destiny. They're not going to be destroyed. I mean, he must think he is an awesome preacher, but that's not Jonah's reaction. Here's what he says, chapter 4, verse 2. Jonah prays again. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? Isn't this what I said? That's why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. This is, I, I knew this would happen. This is why I went in the opposite direction. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents by, from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. For it is better for me to die than to live. I knew this was the kind of God you were. That as soon as somebody repents, you forgive them. As soon as somebody says, God, we shouldn't have done that, you decide you're not going to destroy them. I knew you were a God who saves. And I didn't want that. He's a man full of contradictions. And he went out in the blazing sun and he built a little hut. And he sort of sat down there to die. And God caused this vine to grow up and cover the hut and give him a little shade. And Jonah enjoyed it. But, but God also provided a worm to eat through the plant to kill it. Jonah got mad again and grieved over the loss of the vine and had a bigger pity party for himself. And we read this down in verse, eight, to verse 9. God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry I wish I were dead. And, and that's... It's really all we hear from Jonah. That's the end of, of his words. God gets the last word. You've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Jonah, you just don't, you don't get it. And we wish there was a Jonah chapter 5 to tell the, the rest of the story that Jonah changed his mind or repented or did something, but that, that's all we get. That's, that's it. It's over. 
We don't know what Jonah did. We're just left with Jonah being mad because these people that did not deserve salvation have been saved. And he's mad about it. And he'd rather die than watch this people who are so much trouble be allowed to live. See, it all goes back to the end of that prayer. Salvation comes from the Lord. That's one moment of insight that Jonah has. And then he loses it. He gets it when the salvation is about him. But when the salvation is about people that he doesn't like, he loses just how valuable and important that is. So what do we take away from this story? What, what value do we find in this story of Jonah? Well, I think, first of all, it teaches us, just like all these prayers have tended to do, they've taught us more about God than they have about prayer. And then our understanding of God can inform our prayer lives in the future. But this one reminds us that it's all about God's salvation, that we only find salvation in God. And so it changes the way that we pray we begin to see the need to pray for ourselves, for God to save us. This is a God who saves. For God to save us from our contradictions. So for God to save us from the times when we want to sort of have one foot in a life that we know we need to leave and one foot in a life that God has called us to, to save us from our desire to return to slavery and stay in freedom. And to save us from our desire to handle everything on our own, to depend on our strength and our wisdom and our ability to solve every problem that's going on in our lives, and instead to depend on God's power and God's Spirit to be at work in us, for God to save us from that, and for God to save us from trying to compartmentalize our lives so we can be different people in different places. And, and you could name something else, some other inconsistency, some other contradiction in your life that God needs to save you from. And we need to pray for others. Because, you know, for some of us, there are people in our lives, we've been praying for their salvation for years or maybe even decades People we love, siblings or parents or children or spouses or, or friends or whoever it is, we've been praying for that person that they would come to know Jesus, that, that they would spend eternity with God and with us. And we've been praying that God would provide the right person in their lives at the right time or, or to use us with the right words at the right moment. It's easy to pray that. But then there's some people in our lives who have hurt us or hurt someone we love, or maybe brought harm to our country. And those people aren't nearly as easy to pray for. In fact, what we want to say with Jonah is, they don't deserve salvation. But the problem is, neither do we. Not one of us. Not one of us has been good enough to deserve Jesus on a cross. Not one of us has been good enough to deserve spending eternity in the presence of God. 
And we could be like Jonah when God says, go pray for this people. And we could run in the opposite direction. But we miss. We miss Jesus as Savior if we do that. We miss this God who saves, this God who is all about salvation if we follow the example of Jonah. We miss what Jesus said. Right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 44, but I tell you, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So what are your contradictions? Who have you struggled to pray for? I want to finish up today with a few moments of silence. Just because this is so personal, because we all have different contradictions, they're not the same for all of us. They're very individual. And we all have struggles with praying for some person or some group of people who just seem like they don't deserve the salvation that comes from Jesus. So I'd like us to spend just a few minutes silently praying, talking to God about him saving us from our contradictions, but also having his salvation extend to some people around us. Maybe some people we love. Maybe some people who are really hard to love. Let's pray together and then I'll close that prayer out in a few.